She loved her country. She loved her family. And she loved her God. The legacy will live on every time some underdog outmatched and outgunned defies the odds and delivers a win for the people. to the New Right to 9-11 podcast. I'm your host, Nora Browning. This podcast was created as part of a history class taught by Professor Justina Licata at Indiana University East, where I attended school as a freshman majoring in history. This course, which is called the New Right to 9-11, explored major themes in U.S. history from the 1960s to the early 2000s. In this episode, I'll be discussing the Illinois Republican housewife who amassed an anti-feminist coalition, which ultimately derailed the success of the Equal Rights Amendment. This woman's name was Phyllis Schlafly. We'll talk about all these things with Phyllis Schlafly, which you welcome, Mrs. Schlafly. Before we begin, I mentioned that the name of this podcast and the class it was created for is from New Right to 9-11. So what is the New Right? Named in contrast to the New Left counterculture movement of the 1960s, the New Right, sometimes called the Religious Right, consisted of a number of conservative activists who voiced opposition on a variety of issues, which included civil rights, gay rights, reproductive justice, and the Equal Rights Amendment, which is what we will be focusing on today as we discuss Phyllis Schlafly. So among the many rights feminists were fighting for in the 1960s and 70s was the Equal Rights Amendment, or the ERA. According to NOW, the National Organization for Women, who published a chronology of the ERA, the amendment was first introduced in Congress in 1923 by Senator Curtis and Representative Anthony, a nephew of Susan B. Anthony. The ERA was authored by Alice Paul, who was a leading radical suffragist during the fight for the 19th Amendment, which was ratified in 1920. It was defeated by the full Senate in 1946, but then passed by the Senate in 1950, with a writer that nullified its equal protection aspects. In the late 1960s, second-wave feminists declared they would fight tooth and nail to obtain the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. There are two ways for an amendment to become ratified. The first way requires an amendment to be approved by both houses of Congress to then be sent out to the states for approval. The second way is for an amendment to be approved by state legislatures. Jane Mansbridge of the American Prospect reported that through the hard work of second-wave feminists, the ERA passed Congress in 1972, and by 1977, Indiana was the fourth-to-last state to ratify it. However, the momentum with which the amendment was sailing through the states was suddenly cut short by an opposing movement, the Stop ERA movement, led by Mrs. Phyllis Schlafly. What you heard at the beginning of this podcast was an audio clip from a eulogy given by President Donald Trump at Phyllis Schlafly's funeral. In this clip, he says, She loved her country, she loved her family, and she loved her God. He also refers to her as an underdog who delivered a win for the people. The win he is referring to is the defeat of the Equal Rights Amendment. So who was Phyllis Schlafly? Why would any woman work so hard to kill an amendment that was created to protect women? Lee Boomer, 
journalists from the Women in the American Story, or WAMS, which is the flagship education initiative of the New York Historical Society's Center for Women's History, reported that Phyllis Stewart Schlafly was raised in St. Louis, Missouri during the Great Depression. Her father faced long-term unemployment while her mother worked as a librarian and supported the family. Schlafly made good grades in school, which is how she earned a scholarship to Maryville College. This led her to eventually be able to complete a master's degree at Harvard University in political science. She worked in Washington, D.C. as a researcher for a conservative think tank, or if you don't know what a think tank is, that's an organization that conducts policy and research analysis. In 1949, she married Fred Schlafly, a wealthy lawyer and conservative Republican politician. Throughout her life, she was involved in political activism. In 1952, she ran for Congress, winning the primary, but losing the general election. The day after winning the primary, she posed for pictures while cooking breakfast for her children. She wanted voters to know she was still a devoted housewife. Soon after, she became an active leader with the Daughters of the American Revolution in Illinois and served as president of the Illinois Federation of Republican Women. Pretty soon, she was traveling across the country, delivering speeches and hosting a radio show where she expressed the importance of family values, Christianity, and of course the dangers of communism. One of her numerous published books, A Choice on Echo, 1964, was highly influential in the campaign of Barry Goldwater, a Republican and New Right presidential candidate who gained significant support in Southern American states due to his support of segregation. The book sold over 600,000 copies. In the same year, Schlafly became the first vice president of the National Federation of Republican Women. By the early 1970s, she had 35,000 subscribers to her own monthly newsletter, The Schlafly Report. It's clear from this history of political activism that Schlafly had always been interested in gaining political influence. When the Equal Rights Amendment started gaining momentum due to the dedicated work of second-wave feminists, she saw an opportunity. Amelie Ribieres has a PhD in American Studies from La Sabor Novelle. Her research focuses on women's involvement in the U.S. conservative movement from the 1970s onwards through the example of Phyllis Schlafly. According to Ribieras, Schlafly's retaliation to the Equal Rights Amendment officially began when she published a pamphlet called What's Wrong with Equal Rights for Women? This pamphlet is representative of her stance on the ERA, the activists supporting it, and the role of women. Like I mentioned before, at this point feminists were fighting for rights like legal equalities, equal pay, reproductive rights, and women's right to choose not to be a housewife. In her pamphlet, Schlafly argues that American women are the most privileged people that have ever lived. To support this bold thesis, she compares American women's experiences to the experiences of women in other cultures who are responsible for doing more physically demanding tasks than what is typically expected of the American housewife. It's sort of like she was saying, you don't like doing laundry and dishes? Well, at least you don't have to till soil or hew wood. It was a very smart and strategic argument. Contrasting the visuals of feminist activists and African or Native American women performing hard labor was very effective in making the stereotypical American feminist look greedy for lack of better words. Later in the section of this pamphlet titled The Real Liberation of Women, Schlafly states that the great heroes of women's liberation are not the scraggly-haired women on television talk shows and picket lines. Instead, she argues that true heroes for women are people who invented household utilities that make life more convenient for the American housewife. In other words, she points out that American housewives are the luckiest housewives in the world because they have electricity and refrigerators. As she closes this packet and calls her audience to action, Schlafly wrote, Women's lib is a total assault on the role of the American woman as a wife and mother, and on the family as the basic unit of society. Most women would rather cut a little baby than a typewriter or a factory machine. Most women find that it is much easier to get along with a husband than a foreman or an office manager. 
In an interview with Brandy Faulkner, an assistant professor at Virginia Tech's College of Liberal Arts and Human Sciences, she asserted that Schlafly consistently painted worst-case scenarios, which, when juxtaposed with the lives of average white women at that time, led many of them to believe that inequality wasn't so bad after all. She was a biological determinist who thought that the physiological differences between men and women should be the primary determiner of their roles. She advocated for what she thought was a privileged position for women in society. One might ask how Schlafly was able to convince enough women to not only feel this way as well, but to fight against the feminist movement. Throughout the entirety of her mission to take down the ERA, she routinely pointed out the gender roles as defined by the Bible. For example, in her pamphlet, What's Wrong with Equal Rights for Women, Schlafly states, These women's livers do indeed intend to break the barriers of the Ten Commandments and the sanctity of the family. Her use of the Bible was very intentional, and it made it difficult for an audience that was raised Christian and Catholic to argue against it. One of, if not the biggest, argument of Schlafly's entire mission was that the ERA would give Congress the ability to draft women. This angle allowed Schlafly to appeal to the emotions of her audience, often saying, your wife or your daughter could be drafted. Wouldn't they be subject to the same exemptions as any man? Well, but uh, you, there were millions of people who served. During the, uh, since the end of World War II, there have been five million young men drafted. Now, do you want five million young women drafted involuntarily and sent in off to these wars that the politicians will surely get us into again? According to the ERA Education Project, the reality is that Congress already had the power to draft women. Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution gives Congress the authority to raise armies but does not specify gender or age limitations. Schlafly's point, and particularly the way she presented it in a manner that was so pointed and emotionally charged, was incredibly hard to argue because, while the ERA wasn't giving Congress any new ability to draft women, it certainly wasn't preventing them from being able to do so either. Progressive and gender equity scholar from Stanford University, Arbora Johnson, wrote that Schlafly and her campaigners would bring freshly baked bread and jam to members of Congress as a lobbying tactic. They worked hard to keep the image of being domestic housewives despite the fact that they were participating in political activism, which required them to be everywhere in the country except in their own homes. Boy, you've been busy flying around. I gotta tell you what Gloria said about you. Oh? She said that you're flying around the country telling all women to stay home. No, that's not true. And you are a mother of six. I want to make that point. I certainly am, and I think I represent what women have today, which is true freedom of choice. They can make uh, marriage and motherhood their full-time career, or they can go into some other career if they want it, or they can do both at the same time. In 1975, according to Boomer, Stop ERA graduated to the Eagle Forum, which was a much larger organization and confronted issues around education, nuclear arms, and national defense. Later that year, Schlafly's Eagles retaliated to the International Women's Year Convention funded by President Gerald Ford. Schlafly convinced the conservative women to participate in these conferences. Boomer stated that her hope was to stop any liberal agenda items from reaching the national conference. These instances sometimes resulted in confrontations and even physical altercations. As a plan B, Schlafly and her colleagues organized an event that would take place five miles down the road from that one, and it was built on entirely different ideologies. Participants in the pro-life, pro-family rally discussed the ERA as well as abortion, gay rights, and the ways that feminism endangered American family values. Nearly 20,000 men, women, and children participated in this event. Congress had extended the amendment's ratification time limit from 1978 to 1972, but by that time only 35 of the 38 states needed for a three-quarters majority had voted to ratify it. 
This means that after all of their dedicated and strategic conservative activism, Schlafly and her Stop ERA campaign, or her Eagles, which according to Johnson now consisted of an estimated 20,000 Americans with whom Schlafly's arguments resonated, had won the battle. According to a 1982 report in the Washington Post, Schlafly and the Stop ERA campaign threw a party to celebrate the amendment's demise. Ronald Reagan sent a congratulatory telegram, according to the Post. The band played Ding Dong the Witch is Dead from The Wizard of Oz. Conservative Digest editor Joan Lofton remarked, We're here to celebrate a death, to dance on a grave. While the ERA was defeated, that's not by any means to say that the movement of second-wave feminists behind it were. Schlafly achieved her success by embodying the ideal, even godly American housewife, and emphasizing the contrast between women like herself and women who were fighting for equal rights. It's important to also remember she may have won the ERA battle, but she did not win the war. Feminists are still fighting the battle for full equality as well as reproductive justice just as they have always been. Phyllis, we love you. We miss you. And we will never, ever let you down.